It's very interesting how he wraps up this idea in 1 Peter chapter number 1, if you turn there with me. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, I want we're going to go back a little bit and we're going to start with uh, verse number 15 and we're going to continue through the end of the chapter there. We're going to spend a little bit of time developing this idea of how, how do I keep a grip on the lively hope? Let, let's face facts. No one in here has seen Jesus. You haven't seen him with your physical eyes. So what's going to motivate me and what's going to push me to grab the lively hope and keep the blood of Jesus Christ precious and desire to be Christ-like? What's going to drive me? And I love it because Peter of all people, to me, God is so awesome when he chose the authors of each of the books because each of them had some individual thing that made their message very significant. And in this case, I believe that Peter, because he spends so much time in First Peter developing it and then in Second Peter developing it, I believe there's a significant influence in Peter's life that literally changed his direction and his drive. So in verse number 15, if you stand with me for the reading of God's word one more time, and I surely do appreciate you being here tonight. Verse number 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Look up here real quick. We're just going to spend a little bit of time kind of reminding ourselves. So my hope is not because I had an experience that my emotions were stirred. And so I hope that that emotional experience is enough. My hope is in the truth of the word of God. It is in this fact that God raised up Jesus from the dead. I have a lively hope because Jesus Christ is alive right now. Flesh and bone right now. He's not a spirit. He's flesh and bone. He's, he's, in the, he's at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for us. He's alive. So because that, that's a fact. Ooh. See, it's a fact. It's, it's, not a, it's not something I feel or I've been taught. It's a fact. How do I know it's a fact? Well, faith, brother Ron, I mean, you're, wait, wait, wait. Your faith gets weak, right? Yeah. My faith gets weak. What can I say? That's how, that's how come I'm living the lively hope. This is why I believe the, the blood of Jesus Christ is precious. This is my mind being changed. That the truth is in Christ, that salvation is only in him. Here it is. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying. What are those two words right there? The truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Oh, 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 wait a minute. By the word of God. Not by the word of Jim Baptists. Ron, mom and dad, uncles, aunts, grandmas and grandpas, some creed. No, 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 no. I was not born again by corruptible seed. Those things will pass away. I wasn't born again because I was I got some kind of uh, emotional experience or. Or. The spirit overwhelmed me and I felt just at that moment that I had this warm, fuzzy feeling come over me. And so I started going, Hundalabashundai. I knew that's when I was saved. You know, there's a lot of people 
that struggle with this truth. I was not born again by some experience. It's because of the word of God. If the word of God is a lie, then we have no hope. But as Paul said, Christ is risen from the dead. It isn't a lie. This is not some kind of fairy tale. No man could have developed these truths tied together over 1,500 years and agree that Jesus Christ is the Savior. So he says, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof fall away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, period. That's the statement. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. My question tonight is, are you driven by the word or by the world? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for the truth of your word. God, I'm thankful that I don't have to understand everything there is to understand about your word to be saved. I'm thankful that all I have to do is accept the free gift of Jesus Christ and that that truth is proclaimed in your word. I pray tonight as we take these last moments together in your word that your word would again be truth to us and that we would yield ourselves and ask ourselves the question, what drives us? Your word or the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is a very simple message. And uh, I am a very simple person. Because I believe that God understands that he's not dealing with geniuses. I mean, he told... I know there may be geniuses in this room in the world's eyes. But he told Adam and Eve, he gave them one rule. Eat of every tree in the garden except one. The day you eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. All right. Pretty simple rule. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I don't think God came down and said, now I want to add another rule. Okay. I don't want you to touch the tree. I don't want you to look at the leaves. I don't want you walking by and going, man, that looks really good. No, he said, just don't eat of that fruit. The day you eat of that fruit, you'll surely die. He knows he's not dealing with geniuses because they couldn't keep the one rule. Now, God created man that way because he wanted man. And this is, I don't know why this is such a struggle for so many, but it's just true. God wanted a relationship. God wants a relationship with men and women because they want to have a relationship with him. He can make us have a relationship with him if he wants. He's God. But he desired fellowship. Can you believe that God would call a relationship with us fellowship? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. Can you imagine he he that walketh in the light has fellowship? What is First John chapter one verse number five says? This is a re- this is the message that we have heard of him that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Do you think God's being pretty direct there? There's not gray. Gr- why? Because gray has dark in it. God has given us direct, direct ways to have fellowship with Him. Our problem is we want to make it complicated. See, I cannot serve the Lord in and of myself. Why? Jesus told the disciples, um, without me, ye can do nothing. So he talked to them at great length about the Holy Spirit of God. And that it was that it was going to be beneficial for them that he be crucified be buried, raise again, 
and ascend to the Father so that they could have a relationship like nobody in the Old Testament could have. People in the Old Testament couldn't have the relationship that you and I get to have. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Not enabling us to do certain tasks, but dwelling in us. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple. We have the Holy... Right now, one of the things, one of the reasons you know Jesus is alive, because when you hear truth, something in you goes, that's true. Brother Jim and I have been talking at great length about the false teaching that goes on. And in many churches that call themselves Baptists, the false teaching that goes on and the, the people teaching don't even know that they're teaching falsely. And I have a problem with that. Because the Bible tells me to try the Spirit. Try the spirits. Don't believe everything. In fact, the Bereans were, are noted in the Scriptures for being those who searched the Scriptures. Can I tell you something? Don't just believe it because a man says it. Do what Baptists have done throughout history. Go to the Bible and see if it's true. Jesus Christ invited that kind of action. He said, no, go to, you know the scriptures, you know the scriptures, you know the scriptures. They knew it, but they had made a decision not to listen to it because they were driven by something different. Here in our text, there's a call to be holy. And if you and I are going to be honest, we can't be holy. It's hard for us. But see, we can be holy. How? Well, because the Bible says it is written. Because it says, be ye holy as I am holy. The question is, where is it written? You say, well, Brother Ron, that's a stupid question. No, actually, it's not because everybody's got their opinion as to what is right or wrong. And people like to add their opinion to what is right or wrong. They like to pile on. Some preachers would say this. Well, it's my responsibility as a preacher to lay down the law for the church and set all of these standards and then go into homes and to set all these standards for the families. And it is my responsibility to direct those people to obey the truth. That is not that is not even what Peter is doing. Paul never did that. What they always did, what the apostles have always did through the scriptures is they always took us back to places in the scriptures we, where we could see there is a consequence for right and a consequence for wrong. Amen. There's always a consequence. There are good consequences and there are bad consequences. You heard me cry like a baby. Well, I didn't just pick that up for no reason. When Twyla and I, uh, we were married about four and a half years, I found out she was pregnant. I was just thrilled, man. I thought, man, now I'm going to grow up. It, it hasn't happened. But um, we had a daughter and uh, she worked, Twyla worked at school and I worked at night. And so I would grab the baby and I'd take care of Rachel during the, during the day while she was at work. And then I would go to bed and then I'd go to work about 1130 and, and work all night. Well, a few nights... Uh, I would get to be home because obviously that's the nature of shift work. And so I would be home and Twyla would be very tired. She'd have a very rough day being a teacher. And so she'd go to school, come home. She just had a rough day. And so she'd get in bed. And, and Twyla has always um, had this little strange thing that she does when she goes to sleep. It's actually, it still goes on. I can tell immediately because she gets in bed and I... I love her, but I hate her because I really struggle sleeping. I have ever since I was really, I, it's not because I'm old. It's because I just struggle with it. I, I think I'll sleep when I'm dead is what I think. I need to get up and do stuff. My mind's going, come on, man, you could be doing this. You could be, and it's not that I want to get up and watch TV. It's just her. She lays down. I am not even kidding you. It's like, I'm telling you, I'm laying there, I'm going, Aah! 
So I, I decided I was going to get her back. While I would keep Rachel, she would cry. And to get her to stop crying, and I've done this with many babies. It's cruel, but actually kind of fun. Uh, she would start crying, and i go, and she'd go, She'd stop crying. It worked almost every time. Now, it doesn't work with every kid. Some get really mad and scream. I don't know why, but maybe I'm saying something in baby. <laughs> you're like, you're ugly. I don't know. But so Twyla would get in bed. She'd go to, I'd start going. She'd get up, she'd walk over to the deal. <laughs> the baby's not even crying. <sighs> I'm so tired. And I'd be laying over here going. <laughs> she'd get back in bed. She'd get up and go, uh, I'm going crazy. I'd go, I don't know how she didn't know I was, she'd get in bed and I, I made a mistake. I thought she went, and she didn't. I went, and she goes, Right in the face. I said, man, that hurt. She said, you're an idiot. There was a consequence. It was funny for me for a while, and then all of a sudden it wasn't funny. Except I did laugh some more. The bad problem was whenever Stephen was born, our son, I tried it again. Oh, she didn't fall for it. She just went, boom, boom. She piled on me. I was like, hey, all right, I get the message. Exactly. <laughs> My wife says this quite often. If you're going to do good, it's going to cost you or it's going to cost somebody. If you do bad, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost somebody. There are always consequences. Now, we try to tell our young people that and they don't, they, they're invincible. They're, you know, 13. They got a big, huge brain somewhere that they don't use, but they say they've got it and it's there somewhere. And they go, I'm so, I've got, my brother used to say, I've got a brain. And we would go, "Eh, that's debatable. He was like the fourth brother. So the big three brothers would be standing there going, yeah, no, no, you're a worm. You have no brain. He used to say to my mom and dad when he was 16, well, I can think for myself when we'd all go. Nah. That's, dad's 6'3". I wouldn't have said that. That's not thinking. He wanted to be somebody important because he didn't like to be told what to do. And I'm thinking that that's just really part of human nature. We don't really like to do what we're told. Now, please listen to me. I'm not talking about a preacher telling you. I'm talking about the Word of God. See, when the Bible says, Be holy as I am holy, because it is written, God wants us to pay attention to what is written. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid, and, I, and I, I was raised in an environment, not just by my father, but I would say in the ministry, by, by churches that set forth legislated righteousness. And if you did not fit in this box, you were probably not even a believer. But see, that's, that's not what the Bible says. God wants us to have a relationship with Him that shows forth that we have a lively hope. The key to having that relationship is knowing that it is the truth. 
and obeying the truth that has, through the Spirit, given us a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, no one in this room can be saved without obeying the Scripture. You can't. Now, look, the Scripture is not... It's not to be debated or questioned. It is finalized. It's finished. Thy word is settled in heaven forever. It's forever is a long time. We don't have the right to act like that this is just a come lately book that was written by a group of men who were trying to rule people. Actually, if you read this book... Even, I think, without the Spirit, you don't see set forth here rules to make people's lives miserable. What you see are rules that are set forth to make people's lives better. But because it takes away our freedom, we don't like it. We question it. See, in verse 21, he lines out the truth of our relationship. And then in verse 22, following up, he says, you've purified your minds and you've obeyed the truth by the spirit. And that's how you maintain the walk or the integrity of the lively hope, the walking in the lively hope. We're saved by the truth of the word of God. We must obey the word of God. To be saved. You don't, you don't get to say, well, you know, for instance, people say, well, I believe God. According to the word of God is, is believing in God. Is, is that what you're supposed to do to be saved? According to the word of God? No, that's not what it says. Do we get to just, well, I've been baptized. I've been, there are many roads to heaven. No, 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 no. That's not true. Even Jesus said, narrow is the gate and straight is the way. But broad is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. So there, God has set forth truth. Now, is this some truth that's abstract that no one can figure out? Is there a Bible code that's hidden that once you find the Bible code, you're going to be blessed? If you pray these six prayers 60 times a day, God will hear you. Well, are there crazy things that have been set forth by men, supposedly based in the scripture? Absolutely. In fact, the Pharisees were the best at it because they took the law and made it something it was never meant to be. You want to see a group of guys that wanted to control people? The Pharisees were the best. The Sadducees. In fact, when Jesus addressed them and identified himself as the I am, the Messiah... The Bible tells us several times they knew who he was. They just didn't want to hear his words. And then the Bible tells us, Peter says, we know you, that you did this ignorantly. Ignorantly doesn't mean that they did it because they didn't know who he was. They did it because they didn't understand the consequences of not accepting who he was. Think about that. When you and I have the truth, do you consider... The consequences of not obeying the truth. Kids uh, today and in my day, hey, we're growing up. We don't want to obey our parents. Why? Because we don't think our parents know what's best for us. Hey, when I was 30 years old, I was out under a car trying to change a power steering line. And I don't know if there's any mechanics in here, but that should immediately incite riot that a person who knows nothing about power steering high pressure lines would be under a car trying to change a power steering line. My dad happened to have been a mechanic earlier in his life. He goes, what? He comes out. I've got the car up 
And it was a 90-something Riviera, and he goes, uh, hey, what you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm changing the high-pressure power steering line to the car. He goes, the one, that's, uh, the one that's preformed, the one that fits around everything. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He goes, you're not going to be able to do that. I said, well, why don't you get under here and help me? He goes, we don't have the equipment to do it. You're going to have to uh, loosen the mounts for the engine, and it's going to have to be jacked up because it has to fit between the frame and the... Well, I said, well, I'll just bend it. And he said, no, no, you're, you're not going to bend it. And I said, Dad, just go back inside, all right? I got this. <laughs> that was at 10 in the morning. At 7.30 at night when it's starting to get dark, I said, do we have any lights? Because I need to get... He goes... Haven't got the line in yet, huh? Probably going to have to <laughs> loosen the engine mounts, and, and probably that's going to have to be raised up a little bit to fit that on there. No, I got this. I figured out a way to get it. 10.30 that night, I came in. He goes, how'd you do? I said, I'm going to call a tow truck in the morning. They're going to have to tow the car to the, to the mechanic. He goes, huh? I do know what I'm talking about. I said, just this once, Dad. All right. Now, he wasn't gloating, but you know that... Yes, he was. He was. <laughs> the next day, he gloated. That's what I was going to say. He wasn't gloating that night. He actually said, yes, uh, but then the truth is, here's the bottom line. He knew way more about it than I did. If I had listened to him, I would not have said so many curse words in my life. You think that's a joke? Think about this. Every time we go against the truth of the Word of God, how's that ending up for you? They're working out. Because the Bible gives clear direction and we're going, and you know, it may not be curse words, but don't we start blaming people? A husband doesn't raise his family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He and his wife start having problems. Who do they blame? Well, they blame the preacher because if he'd have preached more about couple relationships and had more interesting couples, we would have never. So we need to find a church that is concerned about families. I like when it gets quiet like this. Because the truth is the truth. God does not need us to question whether it's the truth. And I know many of us have been burned because we've been places where people have told us, thus saith the Lord, and we're going, but I don't see it in the Scriptures. But when you see it in the Scriptures, people, we still act like it's not in the Scriptures. So here's what Peter reminds us of. Stop. How did you get saved anyway? Oh, the only way you get saved is by obeying the truth. That's it. There are no options. God's got two boxes. Which would you like to choose? Works or salvation by grace through faith? Well, many religions and people choose works. Why? Because they feel good about that. But guess what? The truth is the truth. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here's, this is real simple. Those who would work their way to heaven would be braggarts. Isn't that the truth? Is there any man in here who doesn't brag when he does a good job? If you don't brag, I, I've heard mothers brag when their children come out good. Yeah, that's my child. I beat that child every day, but look at that now, huh? That's my baby! That's my baby! When a child does something bad, that's your daughter. She says to the husband, that's your son. He acts just like it. Isn't that right? So if something good happens in us, please, I, I know I'm using a very simple illustration, but think, listen to the truth. Are we human beings braggarts? So there's no way we can go to heaven by works because no one is going to glory in the presence of God.
Period. We're actually all guilty before him. Our works, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. You cannot be saved without obeying the truth. You cannot maintain a lively hope relationship with the Savior without obeying the truth. In fact, he gives us an example. Love the brother and see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. What did Jesus tell the disciples? By this shall men all, all men know that ye are my disciples in that ye love one another. Now, I've heard people say, well, this is for the last days and this is for those the church of that day and those people of that day. I am telling you, the way the if you ask people in the world how they recognize Christians, it's typically by their love and especially for people in the church. Think about it. Why, why do you go to church? Well, I love those people. Well, why do you love them? Come on, stop. Get this in your brain. I, I love to do this in churches, especially ones I don't know well. Admit this. There are people in this room that if you had your druthers, you'd rather not ever be around them. Come on. Some of you have got somebody in your mind right now, but you're keeping your eyes focused straight so you don't look at them. I saw Laura looking at Jim. Uh, <laughs> there are people in this room that you would not go out and say, okay, I choose you to, to go with me to do. But you know what? There's something that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost called love. And for some reason, we can sit in the same room with people that we may not absolutely like, but for some reason, we love them. Amen. Come on. I, you meet people all the time. You go, I, don't, I really like that guy. I don't even know why. Because I never choose to be around him. I love Brother Jim. He's just... He's awesome. So, hey, who said amen? Oh, you did. I thought maybe your son. I was going to, I was going to, that's a way to get a new car. But, uh, <laughs> but for you, nothing. Anyway, uh, sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. The truth is there's people in Temple Baptist Church that I look at and I go, well, but you know what? I, I got to say this. They're, I don't know why. Uh, I worked with a pastor. I told him that God, I believed God was calling me a pastor. And, he, and I laughed and I said, but I don't know why, because I don't really like people. I, don't, I have no mercy. I'm very mean. I just ask my wife and children. You know what God did to me as I needed that love? The Holy Spirit worked in my heart to love the brethren. Listen to what he says, with unfeigned love. Not a hypocritical love, but a real genuine love that it's not one of those, I love you, man. It's like, I. so when they hurt, I hurt. When they rejoice, I rejoice. And I don't even, come on, I don't even know why. Because that's not me. See, that's obedience to the truth. God does something in us. Please listen to me. That you cannot explain it, salvation. You can't explain it. Why do you hate the things that you loved before? But you love the things you hated before. Think about your church attendance. Think about people in church. People that love the word of God. Come on, before you were saved, you didn't want anything to do with them, but suddenly you love those people? How is that? By obeying the truth. That's what God does. He does something in us that there's no way we could do it ourselves. And one of the proofs is the love that the Holy Ghost sheds abroad in our hearts. Amen. I love, I really love that because if you're a hater of people in here right now and you just rather not be at church and you hate church and you hate fellowship, you need to ask yourself why. Part of it could be that you're not saved. That could be one reason. See, people who do things to try to work their way to heaven stay pretty much mad. Why? Because let's be honest. 
God's put in our hearts something that we know. I'll never be good enough to get to God. I'll never be good enough. No, no, no. I think God will love my works. He'll weigh my good and my bad. But listen to the end of the statement. And I hope my good outweighs my bad. What? There's no love there. That's fear. But when I obey the word of God, now this is all very simple because he's going to a very simple point. So in verse number 23, he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you go back to verse number three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. How did that happen? By being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. My hope is not in my hope that I hope that I have enough faith to get to heaven. My hope is in this, the word of God. It's the only place I can place my hope, my trust, my direction. Why? Listen, I love Jim Alter. I do. I love his family. Great family. You should thank the Lord that you have a pastor and family that are godly and a good example. They're good people. And I'm very critical. They're good people. I don't say that about everybody. Because not all preachers have good families. I'm going to be honest with you. Just so you know. But I'm going to tell you something. Jim Alter, my friend, is corruptible. For the right amount of money, he'll say anything. <laughs> he might take it back later, but if you give him $5 billion, he'd say, ah. You know why? He's corruptible. Therefore, and this is our problem, we start setting forth standards for our own relationship and what we want the relationship to look like with Christ. And we set corruptible standards. I'll give you an example, a biblical example. In first Corinthians, Paul noted that those who were rising up against the truth and preaching heresy, they were false teachers, were those who were comparing themselves among themselves. And he said, this is unwise. Why? If I want to attain to his level, and that's all I want to attain to, you know what? If I work hard enough, I can get there. I mean, it'd be a miracle. I'd be 80. I just want to say that before he did. But the truth is, I can attain. I, or if I'm smart, and we usually are, I'd go more like this. And I don't know anybody in here, so if your name's Joe, I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you. Well, at least I'm not as bad as Brother Joe. At least I come to church regularly. At least I clean the church. At least I sing in the choir. I mean, come on. Compared to him, I'm a much better person. That's never been the comparison because that's corruptible. Amen. That's taking the scripture and making it say something I want it to say. What, when the world drives you, that's what you have to do. You have to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Have you seen their kids? At least our kids hold some kind of standard. Well, I'll tell you, at least our church, you know, has prettier chairs than they do. Amen. <laughs> At least our pastor's wife is nicer. Uh, um, <laughs> At least the pastor's children are smart. There, we can stick with that one. Well, at least, at least I'm not as bad as... See, here's, here's what Peter is reminding them from, uh, about. 
This relationship is not built on corruptible things. The way you look like you have a lively hope is found in only one way, by the Word of God. See, the comparison and the measuring stick is this. And it's not me. Stand up there, buddy. What's your name? Abercrombie? That's a good name. All right. Can I just call you Ab? Because you got some good ones there. All right. And so, watch this. It's not me walking up and going like this. Okay, uh, I got to... You know, my standards are way up here, so you've really got you got a long way to go. I'm sorry, buddy. You, you don't fit in. No, no, no. That's what we wish it was. The measuring stick is this. Do I measure up to the Scripture? Have I obeyed? We get caught up in trying to see if everyone else is obeying. And then that's how we warrant our disobedience. You can sit down. Thank you. I uh, told you I grew up with five brothers. Every time one of us got in trouble. I mean, every time we would always say something like this. Yeah, but you don't know what Mark did. That was my next brother. You don't know what Mark did. You know, what my dad would say almost every time. I don't care what Mark did. Yeah, but it was horrible. Man, I mean, seriously. This is so unfair. I don't care what Mark did. I told you to do this, and you didn't. Yeah, but Mark stopped me from... No, I, I'm not even going to talk to Mark. Because this isn't about Mark. This is about you. When we were given soul liberty individual soul liberty, it wasn't to measure everybody else. It was to measure us. The relationship is not between you and Brother Jim and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. I've told our choir 14 years straight, twice a year. This ministry is your ministry. I am not going to hound you about being on time. I am not going to hound you about being faithful. If you don't know the song, I will ask you not to sing. But this is your ministry. And if you feel like God is pleased with the way you are approaching your ministry, that's up to you. Oh, Brother Ron, now there needs to be more control. No, there need to be more Christians that take individual responsibility. Because if we were serving the Lord because we wanted to and because His blood is precious and because we have a lively hope, we'd probably serve Him better. Well, how do we know all that stuff? Well, you got to be in the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How am I going to grow up by faith? How am I going to grow in faith by the Word? Listen to what God says about His Word. If you, and if you want to turn here, this is fine. Uh, look at, first of all, let's, let's make a comparison to His Word and the world, and then we're going to go through this, and this will be it. First, first John chapter number 2. This is where we get down to decide what drives us. What is it that drives me? Don't think of someone else. What drives me? Not my husband, not my wife, not my children. What drives me? Here's what verse number 15 of chapter 2 says. Very well known. Very Probably some of you can quote it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Pretty simple. Not a lot of guessing there. Well, I mean, what does he mean by love the world? He's not talking about loving individuals in the world. He's talking about loving the world driving me, being my driving force, the appeal of the flesh in me, 
Me yielding to the flesh. Okay, so here's what the conclusion is. The world's going to pass away and the lust thereof. Period. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, where do we find the word of God? The will of God, I don't know. It's in his word. He's not. Brother Jim, I need you to tell me what God's will is for my life. Well, here's a couple of verses that I can point you to. But honestly, I can't tell you what God's will is for your life. You have to choose according to his word. Well, you don't understand. My problem is not in the word of God. Well, you see, God was smarter than us. And actually, you don't have a problem that he hasn't addressed if you're willing to look for it. Well, I don't have the time to look for it. And you're paid to be a preacher and you should know every scripture by heart and exactly what it means for me. You should know how the Holy Spirit's going to speak to me. I'm telling you, we have weak churches today because Christians will not take their individual soul liberty to choose and choose because we want to be able to blame somebody if it's the wrong choice. I'd have never done that if Brother Jim would have told me. I would have never done that if that church wouldn't have led me that way. You know, you have no excuse. When we stand before Christ, we're not going to answer for what someone else supposedly drove us to do. Can I tell you something? People are not nice. Many of them we would consider idiots, even in church. I can't let people around me dictate how I walk in this relationship. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, well, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. The only thing that's going to last forever is he that doeth the will of God. Where am I going to get the will of God? From his word. Look at Psalm 119. And I don't need to teach you any of this because I know your pastor has taught this. And the funny thing about every revival or every conference that I've ever been involved in, it, the preachers aren't saying anything different. They're saying it a different way, but it's all the word of God. Verse number 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Turn to verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. God's word is settled forever. No wonder it's the only thing that's going to last. I do not need a book to help me understand the meaning First John chapter number four says we have an unction. The Holy Ghost given to us. You have no need that I teach you these things because you're not. Jesus said he was going to lead us in truth. All we need to do is say, you know what? God's word is settled. Listen to verse number 153. Consider my affliction and deliver me for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked for they seek not thy statutes. Why is salvation far? Because they're not looking in the right place. Remember we talked about changing our mind about the fact that we're right? That this is the right thing to do? Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because thy, they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will, shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. When we stand in heaven, we're only going to answer for what we were driven by, the world or the word. Because the flesh is at enmity with God, God says, it's going to pass away. And the lust thereof. You don't need somebody to set forth rules for you to maintain this attitude of a lively hope. And consider the blood of Jesus Christ precious. What we need to do is believe that this is 
The only thing that's going to keep us in that relationship. I'm not going to go there, but if you'll read for yourself, John chapter 15, Jesus spelled it out really plainly. So the disciples wouldn't be going, well, what do you think we're supposed to do? I don't get it. In chapter number 16, he explained to them why he had to leave. And they're sitting around going, well, I don't get it. I don't know what he's talking about. He's not speaking plainly. Why are you? And Jesus said, why, why are you speaking among yourselves and saying he speaks in riddles? I'm not speaking in riddles. I'm trying to tell you something. In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What? Was he saying we're always going to have a bad time? No. Our tribulation is, can we walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? I love it. As Paul wrote to the churches, he said over and over and over again. So then walk in the spirit and fulfill not, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? That's so hard. Why is it hard? Because there's got to be an easier, better way. Go to Second Peter, and we'll close with this. I told you that Peter spoke of this many times, and uh, I know that your pastor has preached this. I've actually heard him on the the uh, web, but. It, Peter says, verse number 14. And let's go back up to verse number 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Have you ever gotten to the point where I've heard this before? I'm so far past this. Isn't it amazing? Peter's talking to people that he says, I know you're established in this. But I want you to know, it would be negligent for me not to remind you about this. See, we say things are simple, but it's the simple things that we struggle with most. It's amazing to me. I want a deeper life. We'll do what you're supposed to do first. Let's try that. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my de decease to have these things always in remembrance. I, I just want to stop and ask you, do you think maybe that these things must be important that he's reminding? They must be important. Why? Because he wants us to remember them he, even when he's dead. I don't want my absence to be the thing that's going to cause you to slip away. You need to know this is the word of God. You need to know what you're tied to. You need to be, as he says previously in the chapter, diligent. In the first chapter of 1 Peter that we're ending there, he says, you need to be fervent, diligent. So he says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. We, notice he doesn't say you, he says we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and uh, the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What we're reading, what we're remembering... What we're living according to and this lively hope that is spoken for. The only way that I am going to walk in that lively hope is to remember it was obedience to the scriptures that gave me the lively hope to begin with. And I must abide in obeying the scriptures. 
This is the truth that maintains the lively hope. You are not going to get it by reading 40 days on purpose. You're not. Besides, there's a lot of false doctrine in that book. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it by Brother Jim saying, okay, what we're going to do is everybody who's really concerned about walking with God, what we're going to do is you come to the church and I will beat you with a cat of nine tails every day. <laughs> That's not how you maintain. What is it? Well, I suffered for Jesus. Uh, he didn't ask you to suffer for him. He suffered for you. The truth is, that's not going to bring you closer to the Lord. Jesus told the disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Hmm. What drives you? What you can get from the world? Or what Christ offers you freely in the word? God wants a relationship with us because we want it. And believe me, I know it gets tiring sometimes. But he didn't ask us to do it on our own. He gave us clear direction. A preacher should not have to press us to just believe this is true. Because it is. And you shouldn't worry about whether people are being pressed to whether this is true. You should worry about if you're being pressed. I cannot measure Jim Alter. I do not know his life. But I know the life that God's given me. And I'll tell you quite frankly, some days the world drives me. Oh, yeah. Amazing. When I said that I had cursed under the car, some of you were going, oh, I wasn't a preacher then, so calm down. I know that's what hurt you. The truth is, we don't curse always by saying foul language. When we disobey just because we don't want to do it, how does that make you feel when your kids do that? You know, let's be honest, okay? Honestly, when my kids disobeyed, I didn't immediately get angry all the time. I usually asked this question. Did I not teach them that? Now I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> God's not sitting in heaven going, did I not teach them that? He did. This is not some abstract practice, some abstract lively hope. The reason it's lively is because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul, the spirit, and the joints, and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This word of God is all we need to maintain the right walk. But will you be driven by it? Will the word of God become the catalyst that sparks your actions? The family's covered here. Finances are covered here. Living for Christ is covered here. Hey, he even gave us an Old Testament to tell us what not to do. Written as examples. And gave us an Old Testament to show us what we should do. You think all those stories in the Bible are just stories? They're lives. And God says in Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. What drives you? Measure yourself. Get the measuring stick out. What are you driven by? The world or the word? If you're driven by the world, you're not living in the lively hope.
if you're driven by the word, the lively hope just becomes more lively. Do you know that in your heart? What drives you? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for your word and for the truth of your word.